Amen. Boy, looks like they had a, fun, a, a good time this weekend, and I was intending to go to the, to the air car thing because I really wanted to do that. I wanted to see what that was all about, and I was asking them how big the fan was going to be because, you know, it's like you, you got to know these things so you can design it and do it. Well, as we gather together, we're in this series um, that we call, um, Are You Going the Right Way? And uh, the point of John's gospel is that he wants you to believe, and so the question is always, what is it that John wants you to believe? Not necessarily what happened. But what is it that John wants you to believe about what happened? Because John says at the end of his gospel account, hey, these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Son of God. And so that's our goal um, as we enter into this. And so we recognize that the gospel is about people. Front to back, cover to cover, it is about people. It's about transformation. It's about seeing God do something in somebody's life. And we just happen to have um, our friend Lucas here, and he wants to share with you one moment in his life that began to change what he believed about what God was uh, inviting him to be a part of. So uh, watch this. Watch this testimony. Some buddies in college that I met um, have a landscape and mowing business, and they called me and asked if I wanted to join their join their crew. So I did. Um, and when I went, I wanted to in some way pray for people and I didn't know how I was going to do that. So I prayed and I asked God to bring us young men that needed that needed God in their lives. So answered prayer. Uh, God definitely brought us a handful of guys of young men um, whether they were 19 and just having their first kid or they were on drugs or they had drinking problems like it was literally one after another that came to the door and started working. Season got busy and it kind of got pushed to the wayside and I didn't pray with them. And uh, it ate at me and ate at me. So as the season had ended, I finally was just like, all right, I'm gonna start praying with these guys. I don't care what they think about me. If they don't wanna pray, they don't have to. I'm gonna give them the option and let them. Um, so I started praying with them and um, not only have guys um, who didn't even know who God were, um, know who Christ is now, um, but they ask for prayer. Um, they want it in their day-to-day -day lives. They enjoy it. Um, it makes their days feel better. Um, there's some sort of peace that it brings to them. Um, and that is just, that's more than I could have asked for than uh, what I was expecting when I prayed for them. Um, but start a small group. Um, and it's really just been on my heart to uh, continue to pray for people. So I was taking the, I was taking um, our kids to work one day. Um, and if you've ever been on, do you know where Hampton Way is? So there's construction going on. It's down to one lane. So there's a red light at each end, and it's it's literally like a 10 minute red light. I mean, I'm talking. You sit there for 10 minutes and it still hasn't changed. There's no traffic coming this way. It's the most aggravating thing and they won't get rid of it, but they're about done with construction. Anyways, so took the boys down to daycare on the other end and I was sitting waiting to come back to work. Uh, car rolled up behind me, uh, real dark tinted windows. Um, I couldn't see who, who was driving and something came over me and God said, get out and go pray for that person. Go pray for her. I mean, that's what it's what he told me. 
Um, and it, the light had literally just went from green to red. And I sat there for 10 minutes, and I was like, I don't know who that person is. I don't know who could be, I don't know who's gonna be in that car. I'm not, I can't get out. This is just me telling myself to get out and do this. I'm not gonna do it. So, um, the 10 minutes went by, and I didn't get out. And I went on to work, and that was, it was already a bad day. I felt like the devil was just over top of me since I woke up that morning. Um, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get it out of my head that I didn't get out, I didn't listen to him when he asked me to do something. Um, so I asked a small group to pray for it, and uh, a couple days later, um, when I picked back up the kids from day or dropped them back off at daycare, um, I was getting on the interstate, headed daycare, and I was told I was getting a second chance. Um, I just kind of brushed it off. I was like, no, I just, I really want a second chance. I'm not going to get no second chance. So, dropped the kids off, and I come back down, and I'm sitting at that red light. So I looked down at my phone, like, checking a text or something. I literally didn't look down for like 15 seconds, and when I look back up, that exact car, I'm not kidding, that exact car was sitting right behind me, man. Sitting right behind me, so like, I, I couldn't get unbuckled quick enough. I jumped out and like, probably scared the woman half to death as I was running back there. I was like, listen, I was like, this is gonna sound crazy, I said, but I was told, I was asked to pray for you two days ago, and uh, um, I didn't do it, and I just, I would like to take the opportunity to pray for you now. And she was more than, she was, she's absolutely tickled. Uh, so I just, I quickly bowed my head and prayed for her there. Uh, and just um, went, on my, went on my way. Uh, and she was so thankful. I mean, like, to the bottom of her heart. Like, it, she was so thankful for that. And, uh, but I guess that's when I really uh, accepted submitting. Uh, when God asks to do something, He is our Father. And uh, I gotta listen to Him. God listen to Amen. That's my, uh, that's my friend Lucas from the first service. He was here in the first service. And, you know, there just comes a time in your life when you're walking with God, when you're going to church, that sooner or later you have to stop start and, and, and ask yourself, why do I go to church? Why am I here? Why are you here today? Why did you come? Why do you keep coming week after week after week? Well, I want to chase after Jesus. I want to love Jesus. Okay, when is the time coming when you'll do that? I mean, can you imagine what was going on in poor Lucas's head? Can you imagine the poor lady in front of him? I mean, behind him. The lady pulls up in a car. It's all tinted up. and He gets out of the car at that trial. We all know if you've been down Hampton Way, you know that light. You know it's frustrating. It does not put anybody in a good mood. You know, they think that they're helping people. They're going to put a sewer in or something. But it's, it's just making us all matter in a hornet, okay? It just is. Our people are just going through it. They don't care. And I'm like, oh, no, don't do that. And, uh, you know, anyway. So can you imagine he's parked there? He looks back. He decides to get out. And he's got his big beard. And, you know, and he opens the door. And, I mean, if you're that lady and you're looking, you're like, he's opening the door. You know what I mean? I mean, listen, the last couple of weeks in Richmond have been kind of rough. And suddenly a guy with a big beard opens the door and he's coming back and he's looking at you, trying to see in your windshield. And he comes up and he's knocking on your window and you're like, no, I'm not putting a window down. It's not going to happen. You know, and you're calling your husband, you know, you're calling your brother, you're calling some of your dad. You're saying, hey, the big beard, he's at the car banging on the window. And then he says, hey, I want to pray for you. You're like, okay, you can. When I'm not rolling the window down, you're going to have to pray loud through the glass if you want it to reach. You know, it won't work if you don't pray loud and I can hear it. You know, whatever. This lady received it. It was great. But hey, you've been there before, right? You've been there when the Lord said, hey, I want you to do this. And you're like, ah, yeah, 
Uh, <clears throat> let me check on the theological ramifications of me actually getting up and going over there and talking to somebody out loud with my mouth and stuff and then like saying something really stupid like, oh, God wants me to pray for you. Now, now, double that sweat factor by having to get out of your car and go back to the car behind you. And, you know, when the Lord says, hey, I want you to pay for their donuts at the, you know, the Dunkin' Donut drive-thru, you're like, oh, yeah, Lord, I got this. Come on, you throw money in there, you're like paying for the car behind me, you know? But when he says, no, I want you to get out of the car and go back, and I want you to tap on the glass, and I want you to say, hey, Lord wants me to pray for you, then you're like, no. And you do the same thing he did, right? Same thing I do sometimes. You're like, no, nah, go home. Just go home. Just wait at home. It'll go away. It'll pass. And what happens when the Lord says, hey, I'm going to give you a second chance, and you show up to that same traffic light, and all of a sudden the car pulls up behind you, and it's the exact same one. And the Lord says, okay, second verse, same as the first. Go back there and pray for that lady. And you decide to do something about it, and here's the deal. It wrecks your life. You can't not do the things God called. You can't see Christianity the same way when you finally get to the place where you stop learning about it and you start applying it. You start doing the things that will make you sweat. And I want to I talk about the idea of why are you here today? There's a story in the scripture um, in the book of John chapter 6. It's in Matthew chapter 14 as, as well. But, but why are you here? You ever had somebody ask you that question? But why are you? Why are you here? What are you doing here? Who invited you? We were on a trip, my wife and I, uh, Pastor Janice, when we were um, with some, some vineyard pastors, just all vineyard pastors. And one of them had just said, hey, you ride a motorcycle? I said, yeah. He said, why don't you come on with us on this trip? We're going to be gone all weekend. Take the Sunday off and come join us. We went to you know, Skyline Drive, Blue Ridge Parkway. We did all that kind of stuff. And um, one of the evenings we were sitting out front, and the leader guy was you know, there, and uh, we were all sitting in a big row, and um, we just kind of leaned over. My wife said, hey, you know, called him by name and said, we never met the guy before in our lives until this trip. And she said, I just want to say thanks for inviting us. And he turned around, looked at her real quick and said, I didn't invite you. You know how that makes you feel? Like, hey, we're hanging out with vineyard pastors. Whoa, we're not supposed to be here. That guy does not want us here. You shrink down like that meme, that thing that's going around, you know, Facebook or Instagram. You just shrink right down, don't you? You're like, whoa, let's just check this out. Mm. And you disappear. Okay, because it's like, whoa, you have, somebody ever asked you what you're doing here? And you're just like, yikes. It's like, why'd you join the team if you're not going to play? Just want the jersey. Just want to sit on the bench and get the jersey. I want to be on the team. Why'd you sign up if you're not going to go on the missions trip? Why'd you make the commitment if you aren't going to give? Why'd you say I do if you really aren't? Why do we do that? Jesus faced this question with his disciples, many disciples. And the story I'm going to share with you from John chapter 6, there are many, 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 many disciples, and you'll see that before it's all said and done as we unfold it. But in John chapter 6, we have the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 men uh, plus women and children, okay? So we've been through that in the last couple of weeks, and, and so it's a big story, awesome story, incredible story. It's amazing. About 10,000 conservatively people get fed. Get fed. And they feed all of these people with nothing but five loaves and two fish. They find a kid that's got the equivalent of a McDonald's Happy Meal, and they say, hey, we're going to fill all these people, uh, and we're going to fill them up with food. They're going to be so full, and, and then they pick up 12 basketfuls. There's a, there's a sermon right there. They had five loaves, two fish, fed over 10,000 people, conservatively speaking. 5,000 uh, people, besi men, besides the women and the children that were there. Just, just double the number to begin with. 10,000 people. 
had as much as they wanted to eat. The scripture says they ate to their fill. And then they picked up 12 basketfuls of leftover. What does that tell you about our God? That tells you that we do not serve a stingy God. We don't serve a God that says, fine, I'll buy your lunch if you'll just listen to the message that Jesus is trying to preach. If you'll sit and listen, I'll buy you a lunch. Instead, he fills them up and he sends them home with leftovers, 12 basketfuls of leftovers. I keep telling people, you do not even comprehend how generous God is if you will just say yes. Because the disciples at some point when Jesus said, all right, have them all sit down in you know, groups of 10, 20, 50, 100, whatever it is, they go to said no we're not going to be a part of this this is dumb we do not have enough food to feed us we're not going to they could have said lord you do it yourself we're just here to watch lord you're the son of god you said so you make it happen lord we're not going to be a part of that lord we'll look stupid lord god said listen i want you to go up to all their cars and bang on their windows I said, oh lord that makes me sweat god doesn't want me to do anything that makes me sweat or makes me uncomfortable he doesn't want me to do that instead they said yes and they did it. Imagine what would happen if you didn't wrestle as hard when you heard the Lord say, I want you to do something. If you did not wrestle as hard and you did it. Somebody asked me, how do you know it's the voice of God? I said, if it sounds like something God would say, if it sounds like something that's going to improve somebody else's life, who cares if you get it wrong? You've just helped somebody. Go ahead and do it. And here's the deal. The more times you say yes, to the voice of God and you see God do something that only God could do, the more you're going to understand the voice of God and you're going to be comfortable with it. And then you're going to know. And it's going to be amazing. Twelve basketfuls left over. Listen to me. That's not just the end of the story. That's a statement from God that he wants to be generous in your life. But God wants generous people. And when we start getting stingy with God, God says, okay, I'm going to get a little stingy with you till you learn, and then I'm going to come back. I'm going to be there for you. And we see what's going on. You know, it's the craziest thing about free food. You put a sign out that says free food, and you'll get all the high school boys in the world and most college students. You just will. Imagine if you sent those people home with basketfuls left over. Absolutely amazing. What's your favorite leftover? Yeah. Leftovers. Mm. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I love leftovers. I really do. My favorite leftovers is Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving leftover. Okay. I like chocolate pie leftover. Okay. And whipped cream and turkey. That's what I like. Okay. Don't care much about anything else. Okay. 17 people, 18 people came to my house for Thanksgiving this past Thanksgiving. 18 people. Okay. They all came in. We got seven grandkids now. They all came rolling in. We had Thanksgiving. It was great. And I asked my wife, I'm so excited. There's going to be turkey left over because if there's turkey left over, you can have turkey sandwiches. And I love the next day on Friday, turkey sandwiches. And I, and I said, there's turkey left over. And she said, there's 18 people here. No, there's no turkey left over. And I said, well, why can't we get two next time? Why can't we have two turkeys? I am not a big fan. I'm just going to go on record saying I'm not a big fan of leftover pizza. I'm not, that's not Joe. Okay, we get pizza on Friday night. We have a big party. Friends come in, wake up the next morning. There's people that are like, give me the fruity pebbles. I need to sprinkle some on my, my you know, pepperoni pizza that I left over from last night. That's nasty. People, that is nasty. Or my wife, you know, we slip the pizza into the refrigerator and, and uh, she says, hey, listen, for lunch today, if you want something, you can heat up some of that pizza. And it's like, that is nasty. No. 
I'll go get a whole new pizza before I'll eat that three-quarter pizza that was left over from last night. I will not do it. It's like I'll sprinkle a little water on it, maybe put a napkin on it, put it in a microwave, take the napkin on it, see if it got, like, came to life, like Jesus brought it back to life when I prayed over it, okay? If it looks like it did last night, I'll eat it. If it doesn't, it's not happening. It's dead. And if it's dead, the Lord does not want me to eat it, so I'm not eating it. Okay, don't eat dead things. Okay, pizza, no. Um, leftover pudding, not chocolate pie, but pudding in a cup. You ever had some of that leftover pudding? You're like, man, I'm going to give me some of that leftover pudding. You go out to the, to the kitchen, you open that refrigerator, you pull that sucker out, what do you got? Half a cup of water on top of your pudding. I don't know where it comes from. It just kind of like, rise up, rise up. Jesus, make it rise up. And it's like, who does that to their pudding? You know, it's like, you can pour it out and it's still good. No, it's not. It's dead and we don't eat dead things. Okay? It's not going to happen. We don't eat that chocolate pudding. It's not going to happen. Okay, Mexican food does not reheat well. Oh, Pastor Joe, you don't understand. Yes, I do. When they bring it to your table, it has a life expectancy of about seven minutes. Eat it. The chips aren't hot after five. Eat the chips as fast as you can. I, you know, that's just how you do. Uh, leftover fried chicken has a real promise. Leftover fried chicken, especially if it's your grandma's, okay, we could reheat some of that. That'll be good, okay? But no, that other stuff, no. But leftover turkey, yes, there we are. Okay, leftovers get sent home. Jesus takes his disciples down to the water, puts them in a boat, not going to get into it, compels them to go to the other side. He says, this is how it's going to be. And uh, um, it's the, by the way, we know it's, there's only one boat there, and that's it. And so here we go. Um, they've been out there rowing the boat for somewhere between eight and ten solid hours. Jesus goes up on a mountain. He sees the disciples out there. They're rowing against the wind. He sees the, the, the wind and the waves are against the boat. And then he goes into the fourth watch of the night, which means eight to ten hours later. He walks out there to where they are on the water. And then when it's all said and done, Peter says, if it's you. And then he says, it's me. And then he says, get back in the boat. Why did you doubt? And they get back in the boat. And pfft, they're on the other side. Okay? There. That was the nutshell version. Now let me tell you the important stuff. In the book of John, in chapter 6, in verse 22, the scripture says, the other people, all those people that got fed, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed a seal of approval. And they said, what must we do to do the works that God re requires? Have you ever asked that question? What is God's will for my life? There's the question right there. What's God's will for my life? What do I need to do? I want you to pay attention to the answer. What must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this. Here it is. To believe in the one he has sent. There it is. That's the whole thing right there. The work of God is this, to believe in the one that he sent. And that's what you need to know. What is it that God is doing that I need to be a part of? What is it that believing will do for me? Check this map out. I'm, I'm real big on maps right now because I just want you to know where we are. So we're, we're roughly, you know... 70 or 80 miles north of, of uh, Jerusalem, right straight up um, the Jordan River. 
because um, it comes out of the, the Sea of Galilee here. And this whole thing has taken place, depending on which commentary you, you, you uh, look at. The feeding of the 5,000 took place over there by Bethsaida, kind of up into that uh, delta that's right there. And then it would appear from the scripture that we read that they wanted to go across to Capernaum, or it took place in the Gennesaret Valley, and they went up to Capernaum. But in any case, Jesus was up on a mountain, and they were on that lake, and he could see them, and they were only going a couple of miles. But in order to go a couple of miles, they had already rode eight to ten hours, and it was just absolutely brutal on them in the middle of that storm. And Jesus goes out there, and in the course of events, he ends up on the other side of the lake. Okay, there was only one boat. Everybody that was on the mount, up on the mountain getting fed by the bread and the 12 leftover basketfuls, they all knew there was only one boat. They were wondering how Jesus got over there, and he ends up over there, and there we are. And so we get to the place where Jesus specifically says, the will and the work of God is to believe the one that he has sent. That's what John said, Jesus said. I want to know what God's will is for my life. Believe what Jesus said. So now you just need to know what Jesus said, right? You need to open up your Bible, and you need to look and see what Jesus said. So believe what, okay? In the book of 1 John, John says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. And this is how we know that we love the children of God. Here it comes. By loving God and carrying out his commands. So it comes down to obedience. This is how we know that we are children of God. This is how we know that we are following the one true God. This is how we know that we are going in the right direction when we pull up to the stop sign on Hampton Way and God says, get out of the car and go back there and pray for that person. We get all like, oh, but we get out of the car and we go bang on the window and we know we're terrifying this mother and we know that she doesn't need to roll the window down much, but could we please pray for her to have a good day? Can you imagine the story that she told at her workplace that God had sent somebody to her car to pray for her. I'm not here to tell you she was saying, God sent somebody to pray for me. You've been there though. I know you have. You're a human being. Lord, I'm going to sit here and watch Netflix until you send somebody to the door to tell me that I'm not supposed to. Come on, we do it. Whatever it is, we do it, right? I just want God to speak to me today. And here's this lady, and, and when she rolls up, um, Lucas gets out and he bangs on the window, and she says yes, and according to Lucas, she's tickled to death. But from there, you know she went to work and said the weirdest thing just happened. You know that stoplight on Hampton Way that we all hate, that we you know cuss and everything? It's like I was stopped at that stoplight, and this guy came up and literally prayed for me. He didn't just say, hey, I'm going to pray for you today. He went back and got in his car. He said, can I pray for you right now? And he prayed for her. And God gets the glory. So if my belief is supposed to lead to action, what will my belief affect? It will only affect every single area of your life. It will affect your heart. And so there it will affect your Romance, it will affect your relationships, it will affect your work, it will affect your work ethic, it will affect your, your relationship to the truth, it will uh, affect your relationship to cheating, it will affect your uh, relationship to lying, it will uh, affect your relationship to killing people. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, it will only affect every area of your life. God's kind of smart that way. 
He just wants your heart. That's it. Because if he gets your heart, he gets your kids. He gets your wife. He gets your husband. He gets your job. He gets it all. And that's what he's after. That is exactly what he's after. Are you here today for the free bread or the bread of life? Are you here for comfort and convenience while you live upon this earth? Or are you here because you're hungry to know the way, the truth, and the life? Are you here and you want to keep coming to the well? Or are you ready for the well that is uh, springing up to eternal life inside of you? Why are you here if you don't want to get out of your car and go back to that car behind you and knock on the window and ask them, can I pray for you? Why keep going to church if we're not going to do the things that we feel like God is telling us to do? What is God telling us to do? Well, it gets a little squirrely in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, it says, For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Okay, now it's getting a little bit creepy. Bunch of people are following Jesus and he's starting to say, All you've got to do is eat my flesh. Cut some pieces off and eat it and drink my blood. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm starting to feel a little creeped out about following Jesus. If I'm following them, there it is. It's like, this is nasty. This is gross. But it's like these people never, ever, ever heard a parable from Jesus. Jesus spoke in parables. I don't think Jesus wanted us all to be hacking pieces off of him. I think he was saying, if you're not going to partake in my sufferings because I suffer, if you're not going to partake in the fact that they hate me because um, they're going to hate you, if you're not willing to do the things that I'm doing, then are you really going to be my disciple? John's saying, I need you to believe this because it's to your salvation. See, we recognize metaphors that Jesus spoke in metaphors. He said, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. He said, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And we recognize that hell is a real place. Hell is not a difficult situation on earth. It's not a difficult time in the history of mankind while we're on the earth. It is not a plague. Hell is a very real geographical place that will be the end for some people. Jesus is super clear about that in all of his teachings. There are philosophers and there are theologians that would like you to believe that what's really going on is this because they're using their little minds to tell you what a great big God meant when he said it. And I choose to believe that he meant what he said unless I have to take it as a metaphor. And as a metaphor, I have to say, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go to hell. But we recognize God doesn't want us plucking out our eyes and cutting our arms off. He wants us to get radical. Isn't it amazing that Christian people used to be called radicals? He wanted us to get radical about loving our neighbor. He wants us to get radical about feeding the hungry. He wants us to get radical about clothing the naked and visiting the orphans and the widows. He wants us to get radical so that people will see us knocking on doors and praying for people and talk about a God who cares. He wants us to get radical. He said, go out of your way and do it. We know that God doesn't want us to go through life maimed. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it to its fullest. An amazing life, but it comes through obedience 
that Lucas was talking about. You know, it's crazy what's going on in America today, and especially in the churches, and I'm interacting with pastors and trying to encourage them because churches are coming together, COVID's winding out. And, and listen, those of you that are watching at home, I get that there are health reasons for you not to be in church. And I listen, your health, and, and for you here too, your health is, is in your hands. You do what is best for your health. But the scripture says, do not forsake to, uh, the gathering together as some people are inclined to do. And we are seeing a great falling away of Christianity. And there's people that say, well, I, it's not that I, I'm, I'm not falling away from Jesus. I just don't need to go to church. And yet Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to gather them together. I'm going to give gifts through the Holy Spirit that everybody needs together. So my gift is for you. Your gift is for me. And our gifts are for everybody else. So he's building community, and we were created for community, and over and over and over again, the scripture says that we're a family. Then I know that sometimes when like 18 people from my family are all in one house, I got to go hide for 10 or 15 minutes. I get that we got to hide from each other once in a while, but we're still family. We still work it out, and when we don't, it says more about us than our family. And we need to be aware of that. The Barner Research Group shares these thoughts. Before COVID-19, the church's focus used to be attracting members to attend a service. However, the church stats and data suggested this year in-person attendance is only 36 to 60% of what it was at pre-COVID numbers. What that tells us is people are just rolling over. They're like, eh, I used to go to church, but I, I still believe in God, but do not forsake the gathering together as some are inclined to do. There's something about us coming together and lifting our voices, something about us coming together and sharing our stories, something about our testimony being shared across that is encouraging and inspiring and building us up spiritually that we're called to do. The article went on to say that the Barner Group survey, in a Barner Group survey, nearly 38% of the pastors as a result of COVID and what's gone uh, gone on are considering stepping away from full-time ministry 38 percent of the pastorate in america today and this is up from 29 percent from the previous january the struggle is partially driven by the pandemic and disappointing burnout that so many faith leaders are feeling this day additionally there are countless churches struggling to find pastors right now and i'm telling you there's a great number of them shutting their doors never to open again where's our hunger to hear the words of Jesus and go back and knock on the door of the car and say, can I pray for you? Where is the hunger to hunger for God to call us to these things? When will we hear the Lord and know that He's called us to do this? I like that. Well, we, we see in, uh, in uh, the why Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy, for the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers that say what their itching ears want to hear, and they'll turn, away, turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So we know there's going to be a falling away. We understand that. We get that. It doesn't mean we have to like it. But we know that. And it's not going to be, I don't think, this great big, I, I think it's going to happen just the way it did. And then it's just going to be suddenly too easy to roll over and go to sleep instead of get back up. I know it's work. I know that. But God's called us to change the world and be there. 
And I love that Jesus turns and he looks at Peter in the midst of, of, of the disciples leaving because he's saying, eat my body and drink my blood. And he says, you guys don't want to leave too, do you? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of life. We don't have any hope if we don't have Jesus. And so I was wrestling when I was thinking about what is it John wants us to know. People leave Jesus. We know that a great number of people left Jesus in this scripture I'm about to share with you. But why? Really, why? Well, I got church hurt, and somebody said something mean, and the pastor preached about my sin, I didn't want to hear it, and, um, you know, that was rude of him, and on and on and on. I get it, and there's real church hurt. But here's the deal. I'm back to the question, why are you here? Are you here for Jesus? Are you here to get close to God? Near is our word for this year. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. He'll not do everything you want done, but he'll draw near to you. He said so. I believe him. With all of my heart, I believe him. But I believe that, that people leave, if you get past the, the cosmetic reasons that they leave, people leave because they don't understand the expectation from his teaching. <clears throat> Jesus said it this way, unless you count the cost, you can't be my disciple. He said that. What he wants us to do is to stop and say, what does it mean for me to be the disciple of Jesus the Christ? What does it mean? What is the expectation of God on my life? And the truth of the matter is, the expectation is that he can call on me and ask of me anything you want at any given time. And my answer should be, yes, Lord, because if I say no, he's not the Lord. And if I say yes, then there's the obedience thing. I believe that people leave Jesus because they don't understand the expectation. In, in the book of John, in this particular passage and story, it says, on hearing it, that they have to eat his body and drink his blood, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Oh, my word, how can we do this? And then six verses later, it says, and from that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. If the teaching's too hard, I'm not going to do it, and I'm going to leave, and I'm going to walk out. God's not doing what I want. And if Jesus couldn't keep all of his followers, how are we going to? Sometimes what God's asking us feels undoable, but is it? Is it just a little bit of sweat, a little bit of uncomfortable, a little bit of stepping out of our comfort zone? The second reason is I believe that people don't like the expectations from his teaching when they do understand it. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. A lot of people are looking for a church where God is nothing, asks nothing of them but promises everything. There's a lot of people that that's what they want. I want a God who gives me hope, who gives me love, who gives me acceptance, who gives me forgiveness, but doesn't ask anything of me. Okay, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and, and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Yes, Jesus! Sell everything you've got, give to the poor, come and follow me, and that's what's going to happen. Don't want any part of it. That's what happened. Jesus looked that young man in the eye and said, sell everything you've got, come and follow me. I mean, give, it to, the poor, give to the poor and then come and follow me and, and he, you'll have eternal life. And the guy said, nope, turn around and left. And Jesus didn't chase him. He let him go. He let him go. It's like, wow. We look at this and we realize that Jesus in Matthew 16 said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. A lot of people are looking for that kind of church because they want a church where God does not ask for sacrifice. And yet sacrifice is the very thing that God wants from us because it's the thing he gave to us. 
A person following a God that's not asking major sacrifices of them, probably not following the Christian God. Too big of a statement? I mean, really, too much? Sacrifices of humility. Humble ourselves. Sacrifices of pride. Mm. Sacrifices of money. Sacrifices of things. Sacrifices of convenience. Sacrifices of our dreams. Will I sacrifice my dreams for the kingdom of God? Will I set them aside? Sacrifices of vacations, missions, service, ministry, and on and on and on, and it goes. Am I willing to sacrifice? Their God only gives to them, but is that a biblical picture of our God who says, come, follow me? See, God sees you and I as a conduit to answer somebody else's prayer, so he gives to us. You ever think about that? The reason God gives us financial resources, the reason God gives us relational resources, the reason God gives us artistic resources, the, re the reason God puts compelling things inside of our hearts to serve people is so he can change somebody else's life and in, in the process, answer your prayer. In the process, answer your prayer. Because if he gave it to you to begin with, he can fill it back up again if we'll pour it out. But if we don't pour it out, it'll become stagnant. We are conduits, not cul-de-sacs. But for some people, God is asking too much. But John says in the book of 1 John, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not a burden. Getting out of the car and going back and knocking on the window and praying for that person is not a burden. For everyone born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that's overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Huh. Only the one that believes that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. That's who overcomes the world. Sometimes it feels like God's asking too much, but is he? Is he? And the last thing that I want to share with you is I believe that we are to believe based upon John 6, 6, 6, and James and John's relationship to God, to Jesus, that people leave Jesus because they don't gain wealth, fame or power from his teachings they believe that if they follow God God will give them everything they want and they'll get more and more and more and more and the pastor stands up here and says all you have to do is give and give and give and give and the church gets richer and richer and richer and richer and people get poorer and poorer and poorer and poorer and the church forgets to go out into the world and feed the hungry and clothe the naked and visit the widows and the fatherless but they got money that's not our calling. Our calling is life change. Our calling is to reach out and make a difference. Our calling isn't to become popular. But listen, Paul tells the church in Philippi, for I've often, as I've often told you before, and I now tell you again, even with tears, many people live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame, and their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And if you don't think that's the truth, just look at what's going on all in the Hollywood sector, all in the social media sector, all in the name it and claim it sector of the church. Once again, we've got another mega church pastor that fell from grace morally. And it's like, when is that going to stop? 
because they get caught up in their own egos, their own popularity. Got churches out there doing, you know, the view in their churches on Sunday morning instead of opening up the scripture. We got churches out there doing um, feel-good sermons that won't mention Jesus Christ, hell, heaven, sin, repentance. They won't mention that. And if we won't mention that, then how will people know that there's so much forgiveness for them? If we confess our sins, it says He's faithful and just. If we whitewash and say there's no sins, then what, what hope have we? What hope do you have if you don't have sin in your life? Because you have sin in your life, and I know because I have sin in my life, and I fight it every day. Attitudes and pride and, and arrogance and all those things that well up once we get past murdering people, you know. Stop that early on. But now what kind of sin do we have in our life? Simon the sorcerer in Acts 8. Hey, I'll give you money if you'll give me this Holy Spirit power so that I can franchise it and I can make some cash giving it to some other people. Don't take my word. Read it for yourselves in Acts chapter 8. He wanted to use the Holy Spirit to make more money. You don't think that's what's going on in churches today? Wow. Holy cow. Ananias and Sapphira. We just want fame. We just want you to think so well of us and give us the positions. Yeah, we gave everything to God. We're going to stand up here and tell you we gave everything. We're going to lie through our teeth to you because we want your fame. That's a church. That's the church. Shame on the church for creating idols. Shame on the church for creating icons. Shame on the church for creating celebrities. God, forgive us for that should be promoting Jesus and we should be getting smaller so that he can get bigger and that's what we need to do I believe that God wants to heal your heart today I believe that God wants to love your heart today I believe that God wants to care for you today sometimes it feels like God wants us to be monks but does he I don't think so but we still have the question why are you here today John wants us all to understand and believe that it all starts with Jesus and people and it ends with Jesus and people. It all starts uh, in obedience to what Christ has called us to and it all ends in what Christ has called us to and the obedience of that. Some of you are in here right now and you maybe have gone to church all your life, but you've never stopped and said, you know what, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. You've never stopped and understood that you were born with a sinful nature that separated you from God, but you were because of Adam and Eve. And there comes a place where we have to get on our knees and say, God, I'm doing this myself and I keep sinning over and I keep, I, because I'm not giving it to you. There's a place where we say, I've done all the things, but I haven't surrendered. And today is a day for you to do that. And some of you are in here saying, wow, I don't know if I can believe all of this. This is what God's asking us to believe, that Jesus is the Christ. And as a result of that, these things. But there are people falling away because they believe it's too much of an ask from God. And I'm here to tell you, it's exactly what you've been praying for. When he asks you to make the sacrifice, watch what he begins to do in your life. When you get out of the car and go knock on the window, watch how the testimony of God caring for people begins to go around central Kentucky, right out of Richmond. Watch. That's what that serving tree is all about out there. 
Do the thing that makes you uncomfortable that you wouldn't normally do. Put it on a leaf. Just don't put your name on it so that you get the blessing from God because if you put your name on the leaf, that's all you get is your name on a leaf. It's biblical. But do it. And begin to watch people feel loved because of what you did. I want to encourage you in that. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come before you, we thank you and we praise you for who you are and what it is that you're doing. We thank you for John writing a whole letter because he wants us to believe that you love us, that you care for us, that you are exactly who you say you are, and we can trust you in that. And if we're just willing to get out of the boat, get out of the car, talk to that person, love on that person, share our testimony with that person, give them an invitation, whatever it might be you're asking of us, that you can continue to, to see the kingdom of God grow into other children's lives that you want to bring home. And that we'll see answer to our prayers. God, that we want to be near to you. We want to believe that we're doing what you've asked us to do. So as we bow our heads today, God, I just ask and pray, come Holy Spirit. God, there are people in here that feel like their sin is too big, too much, or just won't leave them alone. They're trying to clean up before they come to you, and they don't realize that coming to you is what will clean that up. Break their heart right now in the name of Jesus. God, there are people that are facing insurmountable odds. They're scared to death, and you're asking them to give their last piece of chicken away. Show them that they can trust you. Be God to us today the way you were in the days of our elders. Thank you for your written word. God, make it alive in our obedience. We thank you for this in Jesus' holy name. We're going to go into this closing song, and these people are up here. I believe with all of my heart there's somebody in here, there's some bodies in here that need to surrender their life to Jesus. You've been coming to church, and I'm asking you, what are you coming to church for? If you're not going to surrender your life and ask Jesus what he wants you to do, because he wants to do incredible things through you, and he wants to do incredible things to you, but you've got to give him a chance, and he's making an ask of you. Get up and come up here and get prayer. It's just as simple as confessing that you're a sinner. No rockets, no neon lights, just the fact that you're saved by the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ and what he did for you on Calvary. And you're raised to life through the power of the Holy Spirit that brought him back from the dead and that we have this life eternity. Today, it's time for you to walk down here to one of these people and surrender your life. That's what I'm putting in front of you. That's what the Holy Spirit's saying to you. And that's what's making you uncomfortable right now, isn't it? I know it is. I can feel it. I can feel it. I can feel it. If there's something else you would like prayer for, let today be the day that you get it. Let's come to our feet and let's close this song. During this song, you just come up here.